Attention. The movie guys love movies. Any jokes about the nominees for this year's MTV Music Video Awards are purely because we can't believe there are still awards going to music videos. Isn't that right? Who gives a shit? Lebowski. Not only are we surprised that they're going to music videos, but there are music videos that they can go to. I didn't know they I, made music videos. Anymore. I loved music videos, and it really makes me sad when music video television turned into reality. People live in a house. Yeah. Well, but then then MTV went to the internet. I mean, now there's like yeah. Vivo or whatever. That's yeah. MTV now. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. And you just it's go on watch, demand. Yeah, watch whatever you want. But yeah, that did. one that one show they have fight. I love that show. That's They're show. all oh, fighting. That's right, that's right. Hey, let's take a cowboy and a poet and a ba- ballerina and put them in a house and see if they get along. No, they're not going to. How old can I sound here? Is that the music doesn't express anything to the point where you need to make it visual? I think it's because it's not new anymore, so they're looking for the next new thing. No, I think you're right, Paul. There's no story to Umbrella 12 times in a sentence. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You can't... How, how do you oh, articulate... But at the same time, Beyonce's video where she danced really great was good. Like, there's nothing oh. wrong with her video. Hey, hey, and you that... want Kanye to come up here and rip that <laughs> mic out of your hands? <laughs> I'm just saying Same that nice it's things. not like it has to be like, aha, which we all know is a fantastic oh. music video. Oh, the 80s. The, the 80s, man. come on. Yeah. But, uh, and of course, Marcus from last week, he was involved in all of that, making yeah, really great music videos, videos from the 80s. But the Beyonce video with her dancing, great. I want to watch that, too. I don't know. I will show my youth and say they still make videos, guys. I know, They're right? They're just on the internet. Yeah, you just oh, can't okay. watch them on right, TV. Explain this internet. <laughs> <laughs> the internet is a thing for people. Hey, right, welcome to the movie showcast, everybody. Part of the vast <laughs> sprawling movie guys empire. Hey, and you guys are guests in our corn. You've reached ground zero for all things uh, movies and comedy. We bring the two together right here on our show every week with jokes, rants, sketches, characters, bits, special guests, and more as we broadcast from the Admirals Club in the heart of Burbank Airport's flyover zone. They don't stop making movies, so we don't stop making comedy shows about movies, which means you can get a new show every week on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Vimeo, YouTube, Player.fm, TuneIn, and of course, TheMovieGuys.net. Wow. Absolutely free. And we you should probably you. start with that one, Paul. TheMovieGuys.net. Yeah, and then the, all the others. Yeah. If nothing else, we should repeat it in a number of yeah, okay. TheMovieGuys.net. <laughs> uh, we encourage you to subscribe, especially at iTunes, share and like posts, rate us, leave a review if you love the show. We appreciate it. Uh, still, if you do all that, no charge. Wow. We're on WBAD.net Fridays at 4 and iRise Radio Fridays at noon Eastern. Basically, just search the movie guys on Yahoo, Bing, or Google. 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 And we come right up. Google. I'm your host for the hardest working comedy show in the airwaves, Paul Preston, here with Bart Caius. Multipass. Karen Volpe. Wait a minute. Nice boys don't kiss like that. And Adam Witt. Crash and burn. <laughs> Our guest tonight, speaking of which, who will be joining us for the second half of the show, is a master of horror. I think you can safely refer to him as that once he's directed for a TV series called Masters of oh, Horror. Oh, I see Masters how that works. Yeah. You know him as, also as the director of Reanimator from Beyond, and tonight we're <gasps> celebrating the Blu-ray release of his sci-fi Ooh. classic, Robot Jock. Come Stuart on. Gordon Yay! will be Oh, a pre-applause for his... And I predict big <laughs> things room, right? for Blu-ray. <laughs> I think Blu-ray is going to catch edge. on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No more. Yeah. You, you think HD DVD is gone? Was that the competitive <laughs> yeah, one? Yeah. I'm thinking beta is definitely gone. Gray Ray didn't uh, catch on. Blu-ray is yeah. where it's yeah. going on a limb. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, as ever, we're here for you because you shouldn't go into the multiplex uninformed. We'll tell you every week what's coming out, and uh, this week we'll be taking looks at two new releases, including the latest movie adapted from a young adult novel by John Green. Mm-hmm. It's about a high school senior and the missing student he's in love with, called. The Fault in Our Gone Girl or something. <laughs> Wait, Paper Towns. Paper Towns. Paper that's towns. what it's called. And Pixels. Let's see what that's about. Let's see. 
NASA missions to outer space. Good. Aliens mm-hmm. attacking planet Earth. Ooh, Video games. Ooh. Adam Sandler. Like, sounds like this might be a very complex movie with a very involved plot. It's oh. probably best if we let the movie explain That's it. That's smart, Paul. I believe that some alien life force sent down real-life video games to attack us. Oh, did we say Adam Sandler? I guess we did. So, really, how complicated, <laughs> how complicated can the movie be? <laughs> Should have been the giveaway. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, here's some more of it anyway. We need video game expertise. These guys were champions back in 82. Sam Brenner, Pac-Man world champion. What's up? Ludlow Lamensoft, <laughs> master of centipede. Great name. Also known as... Your worst nightmare! These guys are going to fight uh, the video games in the streets. It would not be an Adam Sandler movie without him yelling something in the preview. Actually, that was Josh Gad. Oh, my yeah. God, it sounds just like Adam he, Sandler. Yeah, and, and there's a couple of times where he's just quiet in the trailer. Good for him. Yeah, Cons- Gad's in there picking up the slack. Oh, Conspicuously good. absent from the cast, Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider. Mm. I looked. He's not there. Oh. But if you can't get enough Sandlers, they're all in there. Have you noticed? His wife, his three kids. Every Sandler? Every, oh, yeah, okay. there's like 20 oh, Sandlers right? in this movie. Yeah. You know, he's he's any, run out of friends to hire. Now he's hiring. He's like, if we're not Bart. going to a gorgeous location for my comedy, <laughs> then damn it, we're going to include think my about this. Family. Think about this in a way that you can relate it to, Bart. So say you are doing something. Say you're having a birthday party. This you happens once a year. You can't not invite your sister if you invite your mom. So say you're throwing a movie. You gotta invite your wife and the kids and your sister and your aunt. When you said every Adam Sandler is in this, I thought I thought every Sandler. I thought you meant every Adam Sandler. I'm like, oh, the squeaky voiced uh, one, the the kind of half child boy, baby boy one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But to his credit, he's casting his kid as like. Quiet kid in the corner, and you know they're they're not putting him out front. Well, you got to put him to what their strengths are. Yeah. <laughs> Will Will Smith, he would have cast him as Pac Man. Yeah, right? just, you're go, you're Pac Man. I don't care what the casting people say. People are like, he's a yellow dot. I don't care. Outside the box. All right. Uh, oh, and we would talk about Southpaw if I didn't screw it up. I, I swear I've been following this movie. I want to see it. It's been and advertised I thought, for months though. And I thought July 31st. Yeah, but I'm shocked it hasn't Turns already up. come out and we missed it months ago because it's just <laughs> yeah. I keep seeing. When's it coming out? Today. Oh, oh, whatever. This what weekend. What is it? It's a boxing movie with Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, I saw the poster for it in Hollywood. Yeah. Okay. James Horner's last score, right? Uh, Didn't you say that? The last uh, the last one he recorded, I believe, but there'll be one more movie, I think, that okay. his music appears in. Yeah. The 33 or something. Mm. I don't know what it's called. But, uh, yeah, certainly yeah. there's a reason to go, if not for Antoine, Antoine Fuqua Fun and name Jake to say. Gyllenhaal. Antoine Fuqua. And uh, the hottie who's in it. What is her name? Rachel Antoine McAdams. Fuqua. I saw the poster. I was in traffic at Hollywood and Franklin. Braggart. So I, I, got, I know, it's very exciting. Name dropper. I got dropper. to sit there oh, for quite know. a long time and look at that picture of her, and she's perfectly sweating all the right places. Oh. <laughs> I need to get in my car to. and do some commuting. <laughs> I thought you were going to comment on how skinny she is in that oh, photo, because there's a, there's a photo from the side where she's very yeah. thin. Actress check, was she... Was she uh, uh, Lois Lane in the Brandon Ralph Superman? No. No. Who is that? Every week you check in. With <laughs> I do. Shall I tell you or you won't keep doing no, this? No, no. Let let's me keep, keep doing the bit it. going. I right. love it. <laughs> well, let's get to our first movie. Are, are you craving a comedy where video games come to life and destroy Adam Sandler? No. No? No. But that Amy Schumer movie looks pretty good, so why don't we go see that? Okay, listen. You're trying, okay. To, you're trying to trick me. It won't work. <laughs> we are movie guys, so we're going to talk about pixels. All right. Uh-huh. Turns out the incessant playing of video games doesn't just piss off your parents. But also beings from another world. Mm. So, Karen, you love the 80s. Let's go. Here we go. <laughs> I could listen to that for a long time. 
I was waiting for the. It was Mario, a little later than 82. Every time I pass out, I hear wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Well, we've watched the trailer, and, well, it's been a while since we've been able to say this about a movie, but here's a whole bunch of what the fuck. <laughs> Actually, we say that every time there's an Adam Sandler movie coming out. Oh, right. Mm. But still, what the hell is going on here? Okay, here's the plot first. In 1982, the United States sent a satellite into space to look for extraterrestrial life with hopes that alien life might seek us out, never once thinking, have you met us? <laughs> Really? <laughs> the satellite contained all manner of pop culture from 1982, hoping that Abracadabra by Steve Miller Band <laughs> might just be the nudge that aliens would need to load up the spaceship with a fruit basket. <laughs> In Pixels, the aliens have finally responded by taking the message literally and sending back emulations of video games from 1982 to destroy Earth. Mm. I can't believe they would overlook Reagan, the Cold War, and air supply as proof that Earth wanted to destroy itself. <laughs> well, of course they thought we were waging war. We sent a video of Reagan. <laughs> ah, good point. And why didn't the aliens send us a giant zombie Reagan a- to attack our planet? Ooh. I'd watch the shit out of that. Absolutely. <laughs> These aliens are such a bunch of assholes that they overlooked The Empire Strikes Back, Star Trek II, and E.T. to assume the form we'd prefer space travelers to take is Donkey Kong. <laughs> Take a hint badly much? <laughs> when you think about it, we got off easy. Video games might be easier to fight off than hundreds of zombies from the Thriller or a fleet of Mr. T's. Ooh. But <laughs> I would love that, and I would not pity any fools. But given that the best picture, picture of 1982 was Gandhi, we could have gotten off easier by an evading arsenal of Gandhi. Now, wait a minute. That could have destroyed us, too, especially if Adam Sandler then made a movie called Too Many Gandhis. <laughs> Oh no, what am I going to do with all these Gandhis? <laughs> Quick Gandhis. In, in, hide before my wife comes home. <laughs> Gandhi, get in the closet. No, not you. You know what? E.T. kind of looks like Gandhi. Just a little bit. A little Gandhi. Gandhi's from space. Gandhi, Kevin, go home. Kevin James is president of the United States in a world where we have apparently given up all hope. President Cooper tries to save the world by leading what we can only assume is a ragtag group of video game mm. specialists. Because really... Aren't all groups destined to save the world always ragtag? I mean, just once. I would like to see a well-trained, buttoned-up, organized team entrusted with saving mankind. Come on, movies. Would that be so hard to do? I'm sorry. Where was I? We were talking about Gandhi or something. The the Gandhi's threw me. Gandhi's threw me. The screenwriters listed here are Tim Hurleyhe and Timothy Dowling, and it's based on a short film by Patrick Jean. But you know this was from the mind of Adam Sandler. Hoba-da-doba-da. What if my video games were evil? <laughs> Probably went like that. Yes, exactly. Might have gone I've exactly always wondered like what hoba-da-doobada would look like spelled out. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Is. Now I have a script to tell me. Uh, for those of you who want to see this movie but just don't have the time, you can skip the first 90 minutes and go right to the climax by hitting up, up, down, down, left, no. left, right, down, and then hit the fire button on your joystick. Hmm. The anticipated success of this movie has already spawned a few knockoffs from other game manufacturers. For example, kids in poorer parts of town can look forward to seeing Intellivision's movie Pixelated, featuring games like Congo Bongo, Frog Bog, and Space Armada. Nice. Just a few weeks ago, and just weeks before their release, Satoru Iwata, the president of Nintendo, passed away. And now I'm saying I'm not going to see this in honor of him. (laughs) Hmm. Spoiler alert, the aliens win when we run out of quarters because the change machine at the laundromat next door is for customers only. There you go, that's Pixels. By the way, they they tried to revive Satoru Iwata by blowing in the casket and reinserting him, but it didn't work. It didn't work. (laughs) 
They tapped him on the counter. Tapped him on the counter, stuck him back in the casket. You know, we would have trouble with our Atari, and we'd be like, Mom, it doesn't work. And she'd be like, have you tried blowing on it? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I did have the Intellivision, though. You did? Yeah. Actual, we had actual titles there, right? You yes, those I, I researched. Congo Space Bongo. Space Armada? Space Armada was actually the Space Invaders knockoff. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it was weird because some of them they got licenses for, so you could get an Intellivision yeah. Donkey sure. Kong, oh. and then sometimes you couldn't, and you'd get Space Armada right. instead of Space Invaders. Sometimes you'd it's get, just like... like- Tenipede or something. (laughs) It's just like circles of O's when you go to the no-name aisle. Fruit O's. Fruit fruit O's. Fruit rings. Rings Rings. Rings of fruit. Rings of fruit. (laughs) Rings of fruit. (laughs) Yummy. Love that game. (laughs) (laughs) Mountain Rush. Uh, It is amazing that you look at Atari. I mean, we were so entertained by... I remember the the game Adventure, where you fought dragons? Yep. And there was a square block that would pick up an arrow, that would pick up an arrow, that was the sword, and it would go. I mean, you would just, it just. You were with block till you, you know, picked up the arrow, then the arrow would stick out the side of it. Yeah. You would walk around waiting <laughs> to shoot. I was that thinking was about so this today because we were watching Robot Jocks, and in there, it was made in the year that it was made, and all the the quality was exactly where it would be at that time. And if you weren't impressed by what was going on currently, then you were just an asshole. Because back then, <laughs> you're watching shit that you just can't even imagine seeing. Like, I know now we look back and go, oh, those are just pixelated little boxes, whatever. What? Shut up! If you're a 12-year-old kid and you're controlling a thing and it's shooting fire at a dragon, that's freaking great! That's why we say when people go, oh, you could tell it's CGI. I'm like, you could tell it was puppets before that, you could tell it was stop motion before that, it's just what's your poison, you know? And what's the most fun and what's serving the story? And it totally (laughs) is where it's at at the time, and if you're so... Full of yourself that you're like, well, I'm going to like this in 15 years when I can't see the strings. Well, screw you. What you're saying is your favorite game is Ms. Pac-Man. I love Ms. Pac-Man. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, I love Ms. Pac-Man. I want to see the ColecoVision version of this because that's the really Our good Coleco graphics. was better than all of them. Yeah, ColecoVision was like the super rich kid yeah. had the ColecoVision. Wow. Yeah, and Coleco Donkey Kong looked like Donkey yeah. Kong. That was the crazy that thing. That monkey was coming after you. <laughs> yeah, crazy freaking monkey. What do you think about it, Karen? This really is like... Uh, 90 minutes of fighting Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> your, in, from your Which favorite. I love, too. And, and there, there's just something great about the imagination of going... I mean, it's got to be that thing where the people who are making the movies are our generation, so they're sure. making it so that they can show their kids what it looked like when they were growing up. A, I love that. That's a clever premise. It is. I, mean, I like fun. seeing. I like seeing Galaga as an actual spaceship. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. Like, oh, okay. I love oh, that. Wreck- looked great. Yeah, yeah, right? That was cool. Hovering I love over the city. Uh, this reminds me of Wreck-It Ralph. Which I adored, sure. and there was such a really heartfelt, great story. Now, I'm not sure that's going to happen here, but Wreck-It Ralph had a no. wonderful story, and it was told. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a unique way to take these things that we all grew up with and then create some heart behind it. Yeah. yeah, we'll and, see. And, and to see space invaders invade. Yeah! Like, and you're yes. like, all right, all right, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I don't normally run out to the new Adam Sandler movie. No. I'm going to But see this it. one I'm going to check out because well, I, I, I'm, I'm into the premise. Well, in a while, right? Or the first one that looks watchable when he's made in a while. Well, the last one I really enjoyed was where he was a singer at a wedding, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, was, what was his last one? I love that. Go with it? No. Uh, Just do it or no, something? No, uh, down in Africa. Yeah, Blended. Blended, down in Africa. The Cobbler, yeah. if you're paying attention oh, to that's Netflix, true, yeah. that just popped up. Oh, an indie film, which apparently is really bad. Uh, you know, it was intriguing. I was I, my room, roommate was watching it, and I was like, "All right, I'll see what what this is." And he's like a broken down cobbler, right? And he's your he's roommate doing yeah, no Charlie. Oh, okay, <laughs> it, it is not a cobbler. Because it really but... spoke to him because he was a <laughs> shoemaker. Char- Charlie makes shoes. No, 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 no. He's a, still a broken down filmmaker. No, no. But in the movie, 
Right. Uh, and so, uh, and the premise is, which I think was very clever, is he oh, his machine breaks that that puts soles on the shoes. And he goes down to the one that's under the tarp oh, yeah, that his yeah. grandfather left him or left him the store. The reason he's angry, he's still working in his or his father's store, and his father's passed on. And he soles one of the shoes, and he tests it out, and he looks in the mirror, and he's a black guy who brought the shoes in. He's he, t- he becomes the person that that owns the shoes. All right, I kind of love so this you, idea. Yeah, this sounds pretty cool. <laughs> you walk great. a mile in their shoes. Oh, it's, my God. it's the sort of thing. But then, I mean, so far, I only watched half of it, but, you know, he, you know, you get like a what-if premise like that, and you go, all right, well, what can I do with this? And sure enough, he's like, he, fight, he grabs all the shoes in the store, and he starts trying them all on, turning into different people. He starts walking around with a duffel bag and, and doing little things as the people and stuff. So, so far, pretty clever. Actually. However, you weren't able to finish it. I'm guessing you've only got 40 minutes in and you couldn't get through all of it yet. Well, you're very busy. I had to get to the new. I think it has something to do with his mother at the end. (laughs) I think he brings his mother back through something like this. Oh, I did get up to the scene where he becomes his father to meet the mother one more time. Maybe that's 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 only halfway through. I'd heard something about this. It's pretty cute. Yeah, Yeah. both sound better than blended. But then just, (laughs) but then just like Ghost, if you if you you know when he takes over Whoopi Goldberg's body and they make out. For a moment, you go, "Oh, that's Whoopi Goldberg making out with Demi Moore." So, like, he's the father, Not and he, he's having dinner with the mother, and you're like, "They can't go any further than this." Or Are he's they going to back to the future? This yeah, he's having yeah. sex with his mother. Yeah. Anyway. Well, on that note, <laughs> that gets a little creepier every time I watch that movie. It is. Cre- it should, it yeah, should be that, creepy. That dynamic, yeah. That really, if that weren't creepy to you, we'd have to have a talk. Uh, movie news. I think it's the 30th anniversary of that. It is. And our friend, friend of the show, Harry Waters Jr., who played Marvin Barry, is off in London doing a whole thing. Doing oh, a whole wow. little right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Marvin Barry. Marvin One of Barry. the uh, I was talking about this movie yesterday. A friend of mine said it was his favorite film of all time. Taylor from the show, mm-hmm. and he and it's one of the least tainted. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know there were sequels that you can have varying opinions on, but sure. that film on its own, just surviving time, and is one of the great blockbusters of all time. Yeah. I agree. I think it holds up. It's charming. It's yeah. fun. I remember at the time having made just tiny entry roads into like looking at what is screenwriting and what is directing and all this sort of stuff. I was interested in all that. But I remember that was one where I was just like, this is so clever and it's like premise and, and like I, it was almost like a first lesson in screenwriting because it's so tight and it's so perfect and everything it sets up at the top. I don't know if people know that they're the, the Twin Pines Mall when he comes back mm-hmm. is the Lone Pine Mall or whatever, you know, because he knocks one of the trees down and all that sort of stuff. But, I mean, that's a tiny joke, but so tight. Like, yeah. I, it's just such a screenwriting and exercise. Whenever we're uh, up at Universal when we're doing the tour and you'll come around and people realize that it's Courthouse Square, oh, yeah. you hear an audible gasp yeah. because they all recognize it, but then the courthouse itself had to have a facade put in front of it because other screenwriters and filmmakers uh, couldn't use that area because Everyone immediately mm. saw that it was Back to the Future, yeah. so it just took on its own um, its own identity to the point where they couldn't film anything else there until they changed the facade. If yeah. you sent the movie guy's capsule into space, yes. Doc Brown would come back and attack us. <laughs> <laughs> what I find most amazing about that movie is my memory of it because it's thirty years old, which means I was like two when it came out. Absolutely. All right, so you're very so young, anyway, Tyke. Hey, wait a minute. Let's, let's look. go see what. <laughs> what, what Nobody's if, charmed by that. Look no. at this. Look at this. <laughs> None of us are buying it. Thirty-two. Mm, adorable. If, let's uh, let's see. Paul Blart, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin James. Yep. Made uh, seventy million. Cost thirty million to make. So he's in this again. So we'll get a lot of this. Most. <laughs> or will he tone it down? <laughs> well, I don't think that you can compete with Sandler in that game, can you? Here's what I want to happen. Uh, I hope this is right in the middle of the movie. Smurf, along with me. 
of Mariner, the Prince of Atlantis. Are you shooting everything from 82? That's 84, but <laughs> still, that, oh, that's the another... The sounds of 1984. Sound of what it could be of 80s things that attacking That is everything from 82 attacked. That's what the, the finale would be right there. <laughs> if 1982 attacked. Yeah. Actually, wait. Was First Blood 82? 84. Because that was Rambo. Ghostbusters, so it's 84. Who are you? Who are you? Our next film. Let's get on yes. to it. It's called Paper Towns. And remember that people who live in paper towns shouldn't throw glass. Houses. Something I know at the time. Scissors. Okay. Uh, it's great. new, and we should talk about it, so sure. here we go. Paper Towns is the latest film adapted from a novel by young adult novelist John Green, the author of The Fault in Our Stars. What was the fault? I don't know, I didn't see it. But from what I know of stars, the main faults are money, ego, and trying to live down being in the movie Battleship. <laughs> I don't think those are the stars he's talking about. Oh, really? Oh, then maybe the fault is that they exhaust their fuel supply and go supernova after a core collapse? I'll accept that. Okay. <laughs> Paper Towns tells the story of, oh, let me spin the young adult name generator wheel, and we'll find out. This is so exciting. Mm-hmm. Who's it going to be? I love this part. Right before I find out, and then I find out. Yep, and it's no fun. Quentin and Margot. Oh, oh spot hey, what, on. No, yeah. Hold on, Paul. You what? were spinning the wheel of 80s yuppie antagonist names. Same wheel. Oh. <laughs> Quentin is a kid in suburban Orlando. Oh, I'm sorry. Who finds a chance to connect with his boyhood crush Margot when she shows up at his window late at night. No, 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 no. She's not there for that. Much to the chagrin of Quentin's high school boner. Margot shows up at Quentin's window because she needs him to drive her around on an evening of mayhem. Including leaving a dead fish and graffiti M's on the walls of people who have wronged her. This is the one thing great about growing old. What, no longer caring what high schoolers think about anything? No, I was going to say that long perspective heals all wounds, but yeah, that too. (laughs) Margot is depressed and depressingly hip teen who's had enough of the fakeness of life. Oh, teens, when will you ever learn fakeness is what being in high school is all about? Interesting that a movie about how an angst-ridden teen who's fed up with fakeness is set near Disney World. The title comes from Margot's perspective on Orlando. It, that it's a paper town full of paper people, and that the single-serving items on airplanes are a symbol for the single-serving <laughs> friends you might meet on the flight. You see, I have this theory... Oh, I get it. It's very clever. <laughs> How's that working out for you? What? Being clever. Great. Keep it up, then. Quentin is excited for his new relationship with Margot after their night of fun and the success of Operation Latte Thunder. But Margot has disappeared, much to the chagrin of Quentin's high school boner. <laughs> Margot left no clues as to where she went except for the intricate trail of Scooby-Doo clues that Quentin and his mystery team must follow. And along the way, learn a little bit about themselves mm-hmm. and life, I'm assuming, because this was made in 2015 and not 1983. We've got Bush. Oh, wow. We've got Bush. Oh. Hell pie. <laughs> <laughs> Very different time. That movie Very holds different. up too, right? Oh, Please yeah. tell me that movie. Revenge of the, of the Nerds. Nerds. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they tried to remake it and stopped halfway yeah. through. That's that's <laughs> really. Then we're like, that's okay. What are we doing? No, here? That Why literally bother? happened. They that's tried true. to remake Revenge of the Nerds and stopped halfway through. So they somewhere... came to their senses. Yeah, they came to their senses. <laughs> 
Which guy, wouldn't you love that anytime they try and remake something? Like Back to the Future, like, we're going to remake it. And they just stop in day nah. four. Like, mm, all right, well, there's mind. still time for them to stop making Ghostbusters, so we'll see. Oh. Okay. Now, the trailer for this isn't just all over the map. It's like someone opened up the map, threw up on the map, then refolded the map, and then left it for the next guy to try and open and read. Will Q Gross. find Margo? Will she ever love him back? Well, if you've read the book, you probably know what happens next. And if you've read the Wikipedia page, you definitely know what happens. Oh. But look, I'm a happily married guy. Even in high school, I only had one real girlfriend. I think we need the perspective of what this film is all about from a guy who had a different high school experience. So we turn things over to Bart Caius. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Paul. You see, <laughs> this movie is about an emotionally unstable girl and the glutton for punishment boy who's in love with her. Red Flag, as I like to call it, the movie, is a film every guy needs to see. It's the perfect metaphor for romance. The one girl you most desire spends years toying with your emotions, then one faithful day, she invites you into her life, only to leave you holding a bag of emotional sewage you now have to clean up. Ah, to be young and in love. Nonetheless, she convinces her next-door neighbor, and by convince, we mean she asked him, because this poor sap has been poor <laughs> pining over this nutty broad since he was about eight years old. So he joins her on her quest for retribution and thrilling self-awareness. And by that, I mean she goes on a mini crime spree while carrying the scaring the shit out of this guy. Now, after their thrilling night together, Margot disappears, leaving Quentin with the task of finding her. Whether she truly wants to be found is somewhat in question, but a string of clues seemingly left by behind by Margot would suggest that she indeed wants him to literally chase him all over town. Again, boys, if you're listening, this is how love works. You spend your whole life chasing a woman who intentionally leads you on only to discover that she isn't really that into you. In the immortal words of Donald Fagan, You've been telling me you're a genius since you were 17. And all the time I've known you, I still don't know what you mean. There you go. Hit a little wow. closer home. Yeah. Closer like, home. Did the aliens send Steely Dan back as well? Or, <laughs> oh, I hope so. Oh, sorry, I got the two confused right there. Donald Fagan would never kill us. Donald Fagan. That's Paper Towns. All right. It did have a. I, I read the uh, Wikipedia um, plot, mm -hmm. and I accidentally read the one from the book. You can always tell which one if you don't know when you're going in. You can always tell which Wikipedia plots from the book and which ones from the movie because <laughs> the one from the movie is like six lines. The one from the book is about four pages. Well, those people <laughs> like to read. I yeah. have That's followed why. that. I think they won't release the whole plot until the movie is released. Oh, okay. Once in the theater, well, no, it's a book. The whole thing goes up there. But it's a book. No, what he's saying—he's telling oh. why the movie plot is so oh, brief, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Even so though in the book plot, yeah. you can go read the whole yeah, plot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can read the whole book, but way to go, John Green. Though this is Chicago's John Green. I tell you, I went to that Fault in Our Stars screening and Q and A, um, and he was holding court. He was the coolest thing of that whole Q and A. He holds they had court. The stars, they had the filmmakers, but Green was what it was all about. Mm -hmm. He was charming and funny, and I—I I wouldn't be surprised if he's got a stack of books in line to be yeah. become films and uh funny thing but didn't have time to pull any of these quotes but i just thought it would be so funny because i just looked up uh to see if he said anything about this or whatever and he has a huge youtube presence and he has this uh, he'll he'll go on these gigantic rants and explain something to you and i can't remember what the what the site is called but he does them all under uh one site and he explained like the greek debt crisis and and i just thought it'd be funny as like and john green had this to say and then just explains the debt the greek debt crisis and then, but yeah <laughs> he's should, should very go on there and have him tell him what that's all about it's a great it's a great yeah, yeah every yeah. time i tune into something weird i go wait a minute now i don't understand anymore <laughs> 
but yeah, I, I think his next uh, book is is already been optioned and for screenplay. So he's 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 the he's the man behind the uh, pretty young. He seems like he must be really prolific for a guy who's yeah yeah. I think he's kind of our age. Must have started must have started early. I'd like to say that the for look on Karen's age. face is exactly how I feel eh, about this I movie. Nah. Yeah. I don't know. It's no Breakfast Club. No, it's no Breakfast Club. It's Whatever. it's to me. It's just I'm not going to see it, so I'm, I, I can go ahead and just hate it right now, right? I'm allowed to do that, <laughs> but it's just not was, the teen movies anymore. I was thinking that at least there's no gnomes and witches and crap in it. Yes, so thank I'm, no witchcraft and they're not no killing vampires. teenagers. Yeah, there's no. So I'm happy about that because no a lot games. of the movies these days for the kids for the kids they're are killing the killing the kids and I don't know why they're, they're doing the that. Kids and they're this running movie <laughs> is not raising. Yeah. yeah, he's not doing maze running and killing no. the kids. There's no crazy trees eating up cars. It's oh, but, I like but it. But kids today aren't going to watch Breakfast Club and there's nothing we could do about it. So this is their Breakfast Club. I think we should. Something on NPR that was kind of neat where Molly Ringwald was talking about watching Breakfast Club with her 12-year-old daughter for the first time. And she was really nervous about it. Not so much because of the the sex and stuff. She was uncomfortable about that as a mom Mm -hmm. like anybody would be. But the thing that she was nervous about was having her daughter watch it and either not like it, not get Mm -hmm. it, or who the daughter would relate to. And so when the whole movie was over, she asked the daughter, well, which character really spoke to you? And it made her feel really bad because the little brainiac guy, the daughter's like, I feel like that guy because sometimes you're really hard on me and want me to get straight A's. Brian Johnson. <laughs> that yeah, isn't that amazing? So she said it was a really interesting learning experience to figure out which kid in detention her daughter related to, and she said it totally changed how their their relationship. I, I, I'm thinking about what you just said. It's true. We can't expect the kids today to like Breakfast Breakfast Club. And As that's, a whole. Smart yeah. kids are going to seek yeah. it out and get it. It's a know? good movie. But yeah. what I think yeah, what concerns just... me most about what teen movies are, are about today is that if Breakfast Club really spoke to me, then, then that was a, a reflection of my teenage yeah. life. Are today's teen movies a reflection of what a teenager's life is like? Because that's really depressing. Don't know. Don't have kids. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, anyone? Well, the, the, and the one thing I'll say, well. Does this really speak to them? And they're like, wow, that's my you, life. You mean, I'm like, oh my God, maybe, I have no idea who Maybe they do are. feel like they're yeah. completely overlooked and they have to go and do all this craziness to get attention. Always. Literally. The next, the next generation of teenagers is going to feel overlooked as well. I mean, it's always going to be the way we felt for Breakfast Club. It's like, yeah, nobody understands me. 25 years from now, those teens are going to feel nobody understands them because you just don't know it's who It's just you a are strange yet. part. It's always going to feel that way. It's also literally a strange part of your life cycle because when you're a child, yeah. you're taken care of, and then you get to be a teenager, yeah. and you're getting a little bit of responsibility, but not enough that you can make all your own decisions. So you're in this weird limbo, and nobody understands you because that's a really unnormal lifespan to be in and then once you're making your own money and you're on your own you make your own decisions and then you get back into adulthood but it's that that weird thing of well i have a job and i have money but i have to be home at a certain time but i live with my parents that's a horrible way to live but you know who she is you know who margo is no i don't know jenny from forrest gump oh you hate this is jenny he hates jenny (laughs) no she's tyler durden she, I hope so because she sounds a lot like Jenny. Yanking Forrest yep. around, one and then the and then she's shows way up. more interesting than Jenny. I think maybe, maybe. Jenny's now like, let's think about what Jenny was dealing with. See this. You guys got me wanting to see the movie now. <laughs> now <laughs> Jenny was dealing with some heavy stuff because she was being really hurt at in her home, yeah. where she couldn't leave because that was the only place where she could eat and be, you know. And indoors, have a house and yeah. indoors. Yeah, yeah. So she had to find a way to deal with that, which no little kid should have to deal with. Fair enough. Margo might be going through her own shit. I'm just saying. saying. Felt a little Jenny to me. All right.
Well, it's tough being a teenager because unless you live in LA, adults don't kiss your ass because they think you know everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good. That's good true. Topper. Out here, everybody topper. wants to know how to sell what you're up to. It's a good topper to the segment. I want to get on to our uh, guest segment, but uh, before I do, quickly, I want to take another moment to acknowledge one of the sponsors of our show, Reed Martin's book, "The Real Truth: Everything You Didn't Know You Needed to Know About Making an Independent Film." Hmm. And I wanted to vote once again a quick roundtable yep. here discussion to another one of its chapters, and we're skipping to the end. So, spoiler alert. Yes. Chapter. Chapter 15, entitled Out of the Theater. For that, we turn things over to Bart. Yeah, so the chapter we were we reviewed this week has to do with uh, the interwebs and the internet and, and filmmakers putting their films. Distribution? Distri- well, it's not so much distribution. There's a, there's a, Actually, it's a very good chapter. There's a lot of different uh, segments in this chapter, all um, overarching with the internet. Uh, the one point I'm going to talk about, because I don't want to give anything away, otherwise you don't read the book, but there's, yeah. there's some really good tips and really good pointers. And the one thing I will share is that they talked about about, uh, or he talked about how making a film for the internet is now something that you can do, and you can mm-hmm. skip the film festivals altogether, mm-hmm. and you can start distributing and getting exposure and, and, and marketing yourself on the internet. But the thing that really struck me was if you're doing that, you need to know how to make your movie viewable on the internet. Yeah, You're going to lose things like depth of field. You're going to lose some expressions. You're going to lose some detail. And so you can't just necessarily take the great... Uh, you know, picturesque movie that you've made, jump, drop it on YouTube and go, oh, hey, look how great this is. So I thought that was a very clever insight that you have to still keep in mind your, your final medium, your final So output. what's the movie that just came out of Sundance? Tangerine? Yes. Tangerines? That was shot on an iPhone. Shot on an iPhone. Yeah, so that's yeah. going to play any platform well. If it can play in it, actually... You'd be surprised if it plays in a theater right. well. So if it does that well, everything else is great. Well, that's what he was saying. Is in some of the technology that you use out there to make your your movie needs to be internet compatible. You need to understand that if you're shooting it on a red or if you're shooting it on you know some huge high end digital camera, getting it down so that you can put it on the internet might be a problem. So starting with something that that can be uploaded very easily is something you need to consider. And a lot of, a lot of talk of this internet today. We'll do a whole show. I, on I've it heard next it's week. sweeping. It's sweeping. <laughs> and also probably in terms of subject matter, I'm sure, I'm sure he doesn't say no. Shoot only this kind of movie. But when you think about it in terms of a digital platform, like you know, don't be afraid of a close up. Like 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 I think of like Interstellar. It's like no. not going to be on my phone. You know, he literally said that. He but said yeah, make I mean, sure you know. you know because you can't always fix everything in post unless you have. This, the material to use to fix it. And they talked about how just get a bunch of reactions of somebody smiling, nodding, saying no, all the things you can think of because you never know what you're going to have to cover because you are going to be tight and you aren't going to have this this huge uh, field of view, if you will. And then the other something curious that I uh, didn't think about is um, when you put these videos out there and these movies out there on the internet, because it's such a malleable medium, we can edit so quickly, right? I mean, we can... You can edit on the phone. You can edit on the phone yeah. and you can make a change and you can you can take notes and you can make that change really quickly. Keep track of what you've uploaded because there was a story of a guy who uploaded um, an older version of his film. It's out there on YouTube and then gave the other version that he liked better to a distributor on DVD and that's the one they liked and somebody got on the internet and kind of pirated his older version and now there's two of them out there. So mm. it's just managing your wow. assets a little better. That's a modern it. problem. Exactly. That's a really <laughs> modern problem. Yeah, because before it was, you know, you knew exactly how many DVDs you were making. Yeah, you weren't yeah. making 16 different versions of this thing. It wasn't that easy to do. Uh, so one of the tips was just keep track of your downloads. Keep track of what you're putting out there and making sure you can get it back because once you put it, you know, it's on the internet. It's like a dick pic. Once it's out there, you're not, you're not getting <laughs> <laughs> it back, not getting it back. So, and did I'll, he interview uh, like 
Anthony Weiner or somebody like that to talk about the he did. dick pic. <laughs> <laughs> the dick pic guy, See, yeah. Because again, the interviews I think were important to this book. Uh, he did have a couple of interviews. And I I wish I can't. Re- I wish I could remember who it was that the story I was just telling about how he did put out his a, a movie called Me. Anyone? Don't know Anyone? That one. Yes, uh, that that he released on on YouTube and then and then got. Sounds like it has close ups in it though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen her a lot. Her, yeah. him. It's a whole series Them. of Must. pronouns. But that's a, also a, I'm sure he covers it in detail too because that's a it's a very complex pipeline now. If you start with Kickstarter, then do you go to film festivals or do you skip the film festivals? If you you know I mean well, the, and, and the when one, to just yeah. put it on your YouTube page and the know? script may dictate all that too. Yeah, yeah you yeah. know what I mean. You're Western. You got to think about it if you're doing. Well, that. people are writing to the format more too yeah you know, that well that was one of the lines of footage. thinking <laughs> one of the lines of logic was skip the film festival circuit skip being rejected if, if what your objective is is getting your movie out there then utilize the technology of the internet and yeah. you know forego and that's the other thing there's some brief talk about you know s- uh, submitting online and that's another reason why you need to keep track of your assets and all that it's good stuff well once again that is the real truth everything you the didn't know you need to know about making an independent film it's on amazon.com by reed martin and it's uh, great for kickstarting conversations like this if, yeah. if nothing else uh even if you're not making a film so and if you are you should probably grab it yeah. All right, now we want to have ample guest time, so we're going to take five seconds of break and be back with our guest director, Stuart Gordon. Hang tight. Yes. Yay. Tightly hanging. Yay. And we are back with a guest whose work uh, I've followed since high school. The director of Reanimator <gasps> from Beyond, mm-hmm. as well as Dolls yeah. and uh, Edmund, mm-hmm. here to celebrate the Blu-ray release of Robot Jocks. It's Stuart Gordon, everybody. Yay, Yay Stuart! Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my God. So that exciting. music makes me want to saddle up, Paul. <laughs> Can I saddle up while Stuart's here? Yeah, that was the Robot Jocks theme. Is there a, a, a Western Very tinge cowboy. to that on purpose? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, Frederick Telgorn is the composer, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, we were talking. We were we were listening to a lot of sort of Western type things, and uh, I think we for some of the temp track we were using Aaron Copeland, as a matter of fact. Oh, perfect. Oh. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Nice. Yeah, a lot of it takes place in the old dusty. Uh, well, it's Siberia well, at yeah, some points, but yeah, they're, they're <laughs> kind of the cowboys of the future. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, Robot Jocks, you can get it now at from Shout Factory, among other places, right awesome. there. The, the Paul, that's pronounced Shout Factory. Thank you, Bart. <laughs> Thanks, Bart. Yeah. Excellent. Um, among other places, uh, I went down to the good old Dark Delicacies here in Burbank, California, and picked oh. up a copy that had just recently been signed by Stuart and the cast. Uh, you've been down there a bunch, haven't you, doing signings and things like that? I used to have an office right across the street, so uh, oh, cool. I, I, I used to window shop all the time. Oh, uh, nice. Right. Yeah, there's some, like a massage place, an insurance place over there, and you're, you you were right over there with I'm telling you, it's a happening place. <laughs> Actually, they weren't so much signings as, as Stuart was coming back from lunch, and he got waved in a lot. Okay, yeah, exactly. come, come, come on in. Come on in. All right, all right. All right. <laughs> a couple 15 minutes or something. Like <laughs> so, Robot Jocks. This is a 1989 sci-fi. Tell the people what it's what, what to expect when they get Robot Jocks. Yeah. Well, it, it's set in a in a post-apocalyptic world after a, a nuclear war, and war has been outlawed as a result. And now all international disputes are settled by ro- uh, giant robot battles. So great. Oh. <laughs> you know, it's a, Talk slowly, I, 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 could see, I could see it happening. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be nice. As a matter of fact, I just read, uh, actually, on the, on the internet that there is some guy who built a giant robot <gasps> that's you know, challenging people oh. to take him on. 
<laughs> Would this be an improvement on the current state of war? <laughs> well, Do you think that in general, that way of doing things is an improvement? Well, it actually is an old idea. It's called single combat. You know, when you go back to people, you know, things like David and Goliath, you mm -hmm. know, we're settling the mm -hmm. whole war with one yeah. one on one battle, you know, a fight between one, you know, two guys. And uh, as a, mer a matter of fact, uh, the playwright, Ben Johnson, before he became a playwright, was a soldier who f settled a war by fighting against the champion of the, the Dutch army. So it, it hmm. was, it's an old idea and it's been, you know. The duel, right? I see yeah, this yeah, catching yeah. on at state and county fairs. Instead of the bear, <laughs> instead of wrestling the bear. Oh, instead of monster trucks. Yeah, yeah. you bring out the guy yeah. in the robot suit and you wrestle him. I honestly would like to see in our political system, instead of like Donald Trump and oh everybody, I would just like be? to see him wrestle Hillary Clinton. <gasps> Without the without the suit. Yeah, I'd love to see Hillary Clinton beat the crap out of her. I think it would happen. I think she's spunky enough to do it. She absolutely would. She's a tough guy. How great would that be? In the just a standard debate, like you'd watch every time the full hour, but at the end of it, they go, "Okay, now get in your mech suits." We would all watch it. We all would watch that. Mitt Romney and Barack Obama going at it. And again, Barack Obama would probably beat whoever as well, because he again, I think he's spunkier and a little more. He's spry. So as Karen mentioned before, Robot Jocks is lovingly seated in 1989. Do you feel like if you had the chance, you would have used a super high-tech CGI like we use today to make that? Or do you just love the film in its uh, current state? Do you, know, well, you, you, you want to go Lucas on it? Well, actually, no. Um, the, you know, the guy who, who did all the robot effects, Dave Allen, approached it so that all of the, uh, most of the effects could be done in camera. Mm -hmm. So it's not, he's not using opticals. He shot it outdoors, you know, in the Mojave Desert, which is the most insane way to <laughs> shoot miniatures. <laughs> you know, it ended up taking him a year to do it. And uh, because, the, you know, of sunlight being so powerful, you can keep everything in focus, things that are close to the camera, oh, things that are yeah. far away. And the thing that he used as a model, believe it or not, was uh, a Disney film called Darby O'Gill and the Little People, oh, which, wow. which did that same effect. They actually browned out Burbank. They used so much lighting to to make oh, that happen wow. yeah. that's cool is that the one that coppola directed didn't she's he direct my dear my darling <laughs> yeah. one my smiling no, 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 no. beguiling did, one uh, finian's rainbow oh finian's rainbow sorry has got the, the seamless effects you know because you can get the you know, they have the guys playing the leprechauns further away from the camera and yeah darby closer and they they're all in forced perspective yeah, right? exactly yeah. And, and uh you know you're, you're not looking at any optical you know lines around the characters or any of that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, and they, they did that for Lord of the Rings, too, and that's one of the reasons that's so convincing, the height different, you know, the size differences, that they use real force perspective. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's great. It's a little time-consuming, though. Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I, th I think movie makers today are kind of lazy. It's sort of like, we'll do it all in post. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll, let, yeah. we'll do it all with CG, and it's like, you know, CG is a tool, you know, it, should, it shouldn't be the only tool that you use. Yeah, yeah. We always quote uh, Stan Winston used to say that they only had eight alien suits, so they had to use editing and all kinds of techniques in order to make you feel that many aliens. Whereas in the CGI age, you just see that many aliens. You just there'd be well, no technique. Well, you know, I think you know, getting back to Stan Winston, you know, you look at the original Jurassic Park, yeah, and that was when CG was brand new and it was extremely expensive. They could only afford, I think, like a dozen shots in the mm -hmm. whole movie, and so they used miniatures. They used all sorts of, you know, they used. Uh, you know, puppets. They used all kinds of things uh, to make those dinosaurs work, and and that's I think the best kind of effect because you never know exactly how they're doing it. 
Yeah, and someone recently pointed out that it's the combination of CGI with actual footage. When the whole screen is just uh, created, mm. it, it, it loses depth, it loses reality, and it's not as effective. With the movie Robo Jocks, when, when they started going into battle, I felt that there was a little nod to Harryhausen, too. Well, it was you know there was some stop motion work in it. You know, Dave Allen yeah, that was his that. that was his his area of expertise. Uh, and you know, usually stop motion is done you know in a very controlled situation in a you know on a tabletop and you know uh, on, a, on a stage. But Dave's idea of taking these miniatures out into the desert, uh, so you've got real mountains and real skies mm -hmm. behind them, mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, gives it a, a much more realistic look. That's Ray Scalacci, everybody, <laughs> chiming in. I didn't give him a proper introduction until he wanted to chime in here and talk. But uh, our, our resident uh, horror expert movie guy. Yeah. Speaking of horror, I mean, going from Reanimator and some of the much more close and personal movies where it's, you know, a couple, a couple people fighting themselves and demons and versions of themselves and, and sort of to go to the robot to go robot that was a, that was a very different thing for you at that point wasn't it or had you, did you have anything that was that level of complexity in sci-fi no it was it was brand new for me and it was because i was a fan of those toys yeah you know i used to have little you know right. toy robots uh, japanese robots and and i kept waiting for the japanese to do a live action movie mm -hmm. like shogun you know? warriors and those sort of things like well those? you know they you know there were uh, you know the, there was a show that was called macross oh yeah which yeah, you know right. was about a gigantic flying robot and like a big spaceship and uh, it had all these you know different cool fighter robots and so forth um, but it was done as an anime you know they never did it as a live action mm -hmm. movie and i kept waiting for that to happen and they never did so it was uh, all right i think i'll just have to do this myself that was the coolest thing about Robot Jocks at the time is because we'd seen, there were like role-playing games and stuff that were like Mech War, and there were the Mech yeah. suits and stuff like that, and yeah. it was such a cool idea. And yeah, and I, I forgot about the Macross saga, uh, that when Robot Jocks came out, it was like, oh, finally somebody did this. You'd you see the, the boxes that the toys would come in, and there would be these big, you know, these paintings of like uh, maintenance crews working on these gigantic robots in, mm. a, in a hangar or something, and it was like, wow, you know, I'd like to see this. This is, this is the movie I want to make. This and is... I was going to say it's pretty inspiring that you had something that you wanted to see and you wanted to make it, but yeah. you, as a person, did you know how you were going to make it? Well, That's I, a well, huge I, jump. I was able to, f to get a group of people together who had made movies like that. I had people who had worked on Star Wars, okay. you know, helping us with this. So you had a team behind you that would yeah. be able to make your oh, idea yeah. come to life. Absolutely. That's and, so uh, cool. And the thing that gave me hope, I mean, we had it was the largest budget we had ever had, which, you know, was say uh, $6 million. It was, mm -hmm. you know... But the, the original Star Wars was done for $10 million. Mm. And um, so that made me think, well, maybe this is possible. Wow. Yeah. I just think it takes a lot of balls to have an idea like that and then figure out how to do it later. <laughs> well, I think if you want to do something badly enough, you'll figure out how. That's really inspiring. <laughs> That's cool. The, the modeling was amazing. The, the intricacy in all the modeling. I mean, we, were, we were watching the making of it, and we were just marveling yeah. at it. Yeah. Well, it would, the, one of the guys who designed the robots was Ron Cobb. Oh, who is, oh, okay. uh, you know, he had worked on... Um, the Abyss, I remember. His well, name. he worked on, you know, Alien. He worked yeah. on all of yeah. Cameron's films. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, he designed these robots so they could actually work. You know. So, wow. Has anyone ever done an action figure of these things? Or, uh, no, yeah. they have oh. not. Oh. There was, no, there was no, a, no toys whatsoever. What a oh, missed I, opportunity. But, I mean, people yeah. now will do, you know, new versions of, of classics and stuff. I mean, that would be a great thing to do. Yeah, like Todd <laughs> McFarlane or something. Or Hot Toys, yeah. Those, yeah. But the, the only thing is, is that now you have 
Pacific Rim, which I've got to get. Uh, I've got yeah. to get your take on. How yeah, did you yeah. feel? Because we're watching this movie, <laughs> and we're going, "Wait, they took scenes. It looked like they took scenes directly. Training from their scenes. Yeah. The yeah. female yeah. pilot. Well, it's funny if you the you know, on the internet, oh, yeah, the they, they they put the two trailers side by side, and actually they ended up switching the audio. Yeah, and, we've seen. Oh. I've seen that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's, it's hilarious. Um, yeah, you know, Guillermo is you know one of the great. Um, I used the word earlier, Ghanifs of all time. <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, he, although he managed to, to take this idea and make it completely idiotic but by having <laughs> two pilots, you know, f- on one robot. Yeah. It's sort of like, imagine two people trying to drive a car. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, well, Goose and Maverick, right? So sometimes, sometimes yeah, yeah, you, need yeah. them, you need them both. Yeah, look what happened to Goose. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it has a very much a very Transformer feel to it, too. That's what. Oh, well, that was the other great you thing know, about it. I and think I that think was that amazing. One of one of the influences was the. I, I thought I read an interview where you said the Transformers were an influence in this as well. Well, there is more than sure. meets the eye in this movie. Go ahead, Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. The Transformer toys were great. You they know. Were cool, yeah. yeah, and 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 the Macross. You know, all, you know, they all turned into different things too. Right. Yeah. You know, so you know, could be walking around and then turn into a fighter plane and so forth. So let's go back to the beginning. Do you did you see yourself making a robot movie in the desert when you were a theater director in Chicago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're, they're very similar. Paul. Many of us here at the <laughs> table have had, had time in Chicago. Well, yeah, I, so. well, we actually did a lot of science fiction, you know, back in the, on stage. You know, we did a, a, a sci-fi trilogy called Warp, which was inspired by Marvel Comics, actually, oh. and where we created our own comic book characters, and that was hugely successful for us. And uh, and we say us, you mean what, what well, company? Well, the organic we're theater company. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And um, we also, I, I did a play based on a Joe Haldeman's great book called The Forever War, which is about, a, it's sort of like Vietnam in outer space, mm. and um, ended up, you know, using Joe Haldeman as, as the screenwriter for Robot Yeah, films. I was going to say, yeah. Oh, okay. You know, it was, uh, he's a, a, you know, a Nebula-winning sci-fi writer, terrific writer, and... Uh, you know, he's also was a Vietnam vet, and so I thought it would be great to have someone who would actually put his life on the line to write the script. And I noticed if I trolled your IMDb, when I trolled your IMDb mm-hmm. uh, page, that you had worked on some early projects with the likes of Joe Mantegna and Dennis Franz. These are like Chicago yeah. legends. Yeah, yeah. So how do you come in? The, uh, how do you come in uh, into a circle with them? And what other folks in the great Chicago circle did you come across? Oh gosh, I mean, it, it was a great time to be in Chicago. I, I, I did the first professional production of David Mamet's work oh, and, wow. you know, and, and worked with a young... Wait, like the first? Uh, the very first, yes. Wow. wow. Like, um, here's this, I'm David Mamet. Yeah, yeah. Dan Mamet would give me a script like every other week. <laughs> and, he, and, 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 and he would say, here, this is going to win the Pulitzer Prize. Oh. And, 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 I, and I would laugh and about two years later he won the Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. But, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and um, you know, he, uh, back in those days, it's hard to believe because his, you know, the movies he makes are so plot-oriented and but in those days, you know, th- there were no plots in it. You were just the great, great characters, but no story. A um, friend of mine described his early plays as, you know, act one, a guy wakes up, act two, he puts on his socks. <laughs> <laughs> I'd see that. <laughs> and you guys did the first production of Sexual Perversity in Chicago, right? Yeah, that Is was that it. That was it. That oh, was no it. kidding. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was yeah. it. It was, And it was... Uh, he didn't say where he puts the sock on. <laughs> <laughs> he just puts the sock on. 
You were waiting for that. <laughs> Sometimes they come to me, right? It's, it's, it's funny you say that this is going to win the Pulitzer because I remember reading a story about David Mamet once, and when he turned in Glengarry Glen Ross to some, whoever it was that ultimately you know was the premiere of it, and he said this is going to win the Pulitzer. I thought, oh, what what guts to say that? And it's so funny he said that to Stuart every time he gave him a script. Apparently, <laughs> of course, of course, you say it every time. You just have to have confidence all the time, is what I'm learning. Well, you know, yeah. Mamet, I, mean, you know, I always say, he sort of reminds me of the way Mozart is portrayed in Amadeus mm. you know mm. he would hand you these things and he would never have any erasures or it was like th- just flowing right out of his head hmm. uh, as a matter of fact somebody asked him where he got his ideas and he said uh, I made them up and they said can you can you be more specific he said yes I made them up in my head <laughs> <laughs> now combining Chicago theater and robot jocks is a story from our own Adam Witt so it's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, it's and, a pleasure uh, to be here. Yes, and uh, <laughs> so the neo futurists in in Chicago they do a show called Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind, thirty plays in sixty minutes, and once a year, and they probably still do it. They would host a staged reading of B, what they call B movies, and they did a lot of classic B movies. And uh, one year, I was lucky enough to be in the uh, production of Robot Jocks, oh the staged God. reading and. And staged and acted as well. Everybody dressed up and played all the characters, and uh, it was it was the same s- season they did uh, Metal Storm: Destruction of Jared Sin as well. Uh, while we're on the Charles bandwagon, they did Robot Jocks because every once in a while an A movie would slip in there. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I want to know who you played. Oh yeah. Uh, I forget who I played, but uh, the the most important one is that uh, my friends Connor and Sandy, who put on the show, uh, played Achilles and uh, um, is it Marshall. Sandy Marshall. Sandy Marshall and Connor Callista uh, played played the main Alexander Alexander, Alexander and and Achilles. And uh, the the highlight of the show. Now we we did the whole show, and and again these are movies we love. You know, we're we're doing this out of pure love, like you know. I grew up the same age as Sandy and Robot Jocks. Like, there was nothing like it. So we loved this movie. And we put it on. Packed crowd. I do have footage, which I did bring. We didn't have time to digitize. It'll be on the, the movieguys.net. Cool. Uh, the great thing about it was, you know, we, we did the whole thing in all of its glory. And we get down to the final fight. And they come out. And here, I'll show you a picture of them right here. Uh, there they are. Wow. <laughs> Dressed in cardboard and a beer carton, I believe, on Connor's head. Yeah. And, uh, oh, dear. And they're wearing headshots of the characters uh, from the... That's Justin. Uh, and they're wearing headshots on the boxes. And so they come out like the lumbering robots. And the audience is like, ha, 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 because they're, 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 they're walking like the lumbering robots. And then these two are in martial arts at the time and had backstage decided, like, let's just go for it. And they came out, and it's just one of those things where... The, only in theater can you have that moment where you're enjoying this parody and we're oh, we're gummy, we're doing it up oh, we're robots and they start beating the shit out of each other <laughs> <laughs> big time punches big time kicks knocking each other all over the place and it just the the audience reaction in the live theater thing of how it went from fear to enjoying it more to realizing we're in one of the greatest evenings <laughs> we've all ever been in and these two were so bruised and beaten afterwards but they had gone for it they had just gone for it I anyway wish, i wish i could have been there uh i will uh, we will put a, a video clip online and, and uh, show you the production of robot jocks <laughs> in chicago illinois and you didn't make it a musical 
We did not. No, no. We right. we were, did it authentically. All we were right. we were we were authentic about our our treatment of robot jocks and wow. Metal Storm: The Destruction of Jared Sin. Stewart did a musical of Reanimator. Did you not? Oh, I did. Yes. You yes. were behind that. Please tell us yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, we we've been running it for several years now, and we just uh, oh, wow. we just took it to Vegas oh. in, ja- in January. Oh, that's wonderful. And, uh, yeah, Mark Nutter is the composer, and he turned the whole thing into an operetta, believe it or not. It's really nonstop singing. I have seen this. Oh, you've seen it? All right. I have seen this. Where is it playing? You've seen the reunion? It was over music? at this. It was, well, it used to be at the Steve Allen, right? No, no, in yeah. Vegas. Where is it in Vegas? Well, it was playing at the Smith Center in Vegas. Which what is, a which nice is, scene. You're not yeah. getting it confused with uh, the Evil Dead musical. Maybe I am. Oh, Sorry. Shame on you. Yeah, Damn. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to join in so badly. <laughs> I want to find out where the auditions Stay. are. I want to be in this. I'm going to find out. How, how cool is that, too? Now, I, I, and I've been recently reading like a, a Making of Star Wars book, and they'll have behind-the-scenes things in there, and I'll go, wow, someone actually made that. You know. So I'm sitting here, I'm looking at the reanimator, I'm looking at you, and I'm like, you, made, you were there to call action, and I mean, what is it like to go from that and, and this little movie that could... At the time, to you know, having a mu- making a musical out of it, having this great legacy for a piece of, of work you d- you did. Well, the thing that I realized was that uh, you know when we did Reanimator, it was a, a low budget affair, and uh, when you're doing something like that, you have as few characters as possible, mm-hmm. as few sets and and, and uh, you know locations as possible. So it really does lend itself to a play. Yeah, and, oh, that's uh, true. And uh, I was able to get the guys who did the original special effects for the movie to do them for the play. Really? Which w- yeah, which was great. And oh my so, God. And we had uh, the first three rows we called the Splash Zone. <laughs> <laughs> so there like was a Gallagher show. Did so you hand out so ponchos? Yeah, we did. Uh, but, <laughs> mo- but, but, the, but the true believers wouldn't take them. You know? uh-huh. they, they would show up wearing white lab coats and, uh-huh. or sometimes white tuxedos and prom dresses awesome. and sit in the front row and end up turning red. This has a very Little Shop of Horrors feel to it. I felt like the uh, lead character reminded me of Rick Moranis in Little Shop. Yeah, well, you know, what I've realized is that there is a sort of subgenre of musicals that are based on horror movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, starting with Little Shop, I think, and mm-hmm. Phantom of the Opera. And, yeah. I mean, there's a ton of them. And, and uh, Evil Dead, I, you know, it's, yeah. I saw a musical of, uh, gosh, it was uh, called Silence, based on Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Oh. Uh, oh, yeah, that oh, played yeah, here yeah. in town. So, um, yeah, there's a, it, there's a ton of them now. Well, let's talk about Reanimator, because there's another constant to many of your films, and that's Jeffrey Combs, <laughs> the great yes, Jeffrey Combs. Yes. Did you meet meet him uh, in, in theater, or did he just come no, onto the scene in Reanimator? No, he did. He showed up for an audition, and it, he nailed it. It was He's so, so perfect. perfect. It was so clearly this was Herbert West. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, in you know, as you were saying, I had a great ensemble, and with an ensemble, you try to keep those people together as long as you possibly can. So. People like Joe Montaigne and Dennis Franz are with us for five years. And, um, you know, when I saw Jeffrey, it was like, we just got to keep working together. I, I, I have to say that with Reanimator, From Beyond, most of the films that you've done, to me, where Hitchcock is to suspense, <laughs> you are to horror. You've got this wicked oh, sense of you. humor. Mm-hmm. That is so <laughs> phenomenal. It's so rare in film these days. And you know, it, it's definitely rare in a horror film. And it works so well. It's well, seamless. Thank you. Well, you, you never have an audience that wants to laugh more than a horror movie audience. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So I've always well said. thought you, you've got to give them something where they can laugh. Yes. Yeah. And and your association with Lovecraft also yeah. is rather unique. I mean, nobody yeah. else yeah. makes Lovecraft but, movies really, right? Well, <laughs> Who else has uh, made one? There is one person that he's made 
Lovecraft type movies. But these are and, the... yeah. But I, I'm just I have to mention Mike Flanagan who oh, did okay. Absentia and Oculus. Very oh, Lovecraftian. Okay. There's also a, a group called uh, I think it's called the the Lovecraft Society, mm-hmm. and you know they did a, an amazing. Uh, film of uh, Call of Cthulhu, yes. mm. which they did as a silent movie, which was really mm-hmm. pretty astonishing. And um, there's, there's a Lovecraft festival that takes place in Portland, Oregon every year hmm. for amateur filmmakers. And so I've seen some great Lovecraft you know, done by these people. But what the hell's wrong with Lovecraft, though? I mean, look at these stories. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with that guy? Well, he, was, a, he, he was a pretty twisted fellow. He really was. And... Um, as a matter of fact, if he was around today, we would say he was a white supremacist. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, he wanted it was Hit- all the rage then. He wanted Hitler to, to win the war. You know, <laughs> oh, he, geez. yeah, yeah. Well, he died before we got into World War II, and a lot of people say that he would have changed his mind. You know, but it never happened. Wow. Well, let me ask this: because of how well you've tackled Lovecraft, do you have a dream project of Lovecraft that you would, if if somebody came to you with a budget and said, "Here, go do what you want to do." I'm just curious, out of all the stories, if there is a Lovecraft project that you'd love to do. Well, there's so many of them. I mean, it's like a treasure trove. And the other thing I should say to anyone who's listening is that Lovecraft is public domain. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. helpful. So so, uh, (laughs) anyone can make any of his stories. Just like Shakespeare. Uh, You know, it's... uh, Well, it was sad because he died before he could renew his copyrights. And... um, but it's good for for filmmakers because these are great stories and there's so many of them that would be terrific movies. And the, the big one is the Cthulhu. Uh, the well, Cthulhu, they call it the Cthulhu mythos, which is uh, yeah. kind of a... All of his stories are sort of interconnected. And, he, and Lovecraft created this whole world. Hmm. He created a, a town called Arkham, Massachusetts, uh-huh. which is where a lot of it takes place in a, in a fictional university, Miskatonic University. And... Um, and, he, and then he created all of this lore, you know, Cthulhu being one of the elder gods that lives at the bottom of the ocean, waiting to awaken and come and reclaim the earth. You know, the, the, uh, the idea of, of Lovecraft is a, about that before man was created, there was this war on earth between these two alien factions. And uh, as a matter of fact, one of the Ooh, with robots? Did they fight with <laughs> robots? Please tell me they fought with robots. Well, they, they didn't need robots. They, <laughs> but... Um, you know, uh, L. Ron Hubbard was a, a contemporary of Lovecraft, and I always think that the Scientology, you know, the idea of Scientology is straight Lovecraft. That you yeah. know, Lovecraft was ripped yeah. off. You know, the movie, the movie, the thing uh, is also was also a ripoff of Lovecraft. Which um, uh. w- the guy who wrote the story was called Who Goes There? It was a guy named Campbell who was Lovecraft's editor, and so uh. he sort of borrowed a lot of Lovecraft's ideas when he wrote that story. So. Um, you know, uh, getting back to Guillermo, he wanted to do uh, At the Mountains of Madness, which yeah. is Lovecraft's, you know, longest story. Um, it's sort of a novella. And in a sense, I always felt, why bother? Because uh, it is the thing. You know, it's uh, the same hmm. story, really. Hmm. Yeah, we were watching the From Beyond trailer today yes. and, and not- noticing some of those creatures kind of, oh, they kind of remind me of the of the thing. He's got a, a way he draws some creatures sometimes in his... Uh, yeah, well, you know, Lovecraft has a a, a creature uh, that uh, is able to transform itself from one thing to another, and um, we sort of borrowed that for From Beyond. You know, From Beyond is a very short story. I think it's only like seven pages long. You know, Lovecraft's <laughs> earliest stories are very short, and the more he wrote, the longer his stories became. And uh, f- From Beyond, we ended up using up the entire story for the pre-title sequence. 
<laughs> and then poetic license. And then it's sort of like, okay, yeah. now what? Yeah. <laughs> Just let, let, let Jeffrey Combs run with it. Yeah. And, and by the way, they're showing Reanimator and From Beyond at the uh, Egyptian. Is yes. the Egyptian what? or the, yes. is the no, Egyptian? No, it's yeah. at the Egyptian on yeah. uh, July 30th, yes. For those of you with Movie Pass, that'll get you in. Yeah, there's going to be a whole. Um, you know, horror movies of the 80s uh, series oh. that they're going to be doing. I think it runs for two weeks. Oh, the fantasy series was entertaining. Now yeah. they've moved on to horror, though that's the best. Yeah, yeah. i got to see what that what that schedule's all about. we got to go to that, Ray. Yeah. I mean, you got to go to definitely. that. What are you doing sitting around here? <laughs> now, I, I've got a question that, okay, so you go from uh, attacking pineal glands and <laughs> decapitated <laughs> sexually charged professors <laughs> to suddenly writing children fair. You and your partners, uh, Brian, Brian Yuzna Yuzna, and, yeah. and, and Ed Naha, Ed Naha, yeah. Ed Naha do uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, what? Yeah. How the heck? Did, how did you guys become Disney-fied all of a sudden? Yeah, and to, to pile on that, and then you went on to produce the sequel as well, correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, how did you get involved in all that? Well, we, you know, we wanted to make a movie our kids could see. That was yep. really <laughs> part of what was, it was all about. Yeah, because you had none. There's nothing. I mean... But, Parts of robot jocks. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> robot jocks kids can see. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, that came later. And um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, I always like to remind people, is a horror movie. Yeah. You know, it's a mad scientist and, yeah. you know, there's giant bugs and there's all kinds of, you know, bad experiment that goes horribly wrong. And um, when I was working on it, Jeffrey Katzenberg came to me one day and he said, Stuart, we want this to be more like the absent-minded professor <laughs> and less like the fly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's what's fun about. That's what I thought was fun about Ant Man as well, is because every once in a while there's this incredible shrinking yeah. woman or incredible shrink. That used to be kind of a genre, a Twilight Zone sort of trope that you would get every once in a while. You're like, ooh, the shrunken story, and that was always fascinating as a kid. I got that out of Ant Man as well, and that's yeah. Yeah, well, all my kids love that movie, The Incredible Shrinking Woman with Lily Tomlin. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. And so uh, this was kind of I thought, what could be better than having the kids be the ones who get shrunk? Yeah. So that was where it came from. Yeah, but it is it is kind of a classic Twilight Zone type uh, uh, tale, you know. Absolutely. And working with Rick Moranis, uh, we don't see him as much these days. So any stories about how he was on the set and how he was to work with are great to hear. Well, I, I you know, I've only met him a couple of times because I, I was the you know writer on it. So mm. when when the movie was shot, I was not there. But um, you know, the few times I've talked to him, he's a wonderful, wonderful fellow. And you know, I used to love him on, you know, SCTV. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Amazing guy. Yeah. Look up his George Carlin impersonation on SCTV. Or his Woody (laughs) Allen impersonation. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. (laughs) And now you've almost come full. Well, I don't know if you ever stopped doing theater, but you came on the scene with a a rather high-profile theatrical piece Mm -hmm. last year in Taste, which Ray saw and reviewed for the MovieGuys.net. Uh, which is another uh, sick story. <laughs> <laughs> no, but with well, with with but Hedy, but uh, it's a play, right? Well, well, it's a true. Yes. It's, 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 it's a play true based story. on a true story mm-hmm. about a guy who puts an ad on the internet for someone that he looking for someone he can kill and eat, oh. and about the guy who answers the ad and the night that they go through with it. Oh, and wow. uh, you know we had it all happening live on stage, and that has to be the most uncomfortable show. I mean, <laughs> we had people passing out during. <laughs> we, we really did. I, I I have to say that the scene where he <laughs> takes off his penis. Yes. Okay. I couldn't watch it. 
And it was funny because my my brother-in-law sitting next to me, he knows he goes, You're the horror guy. What's wrong with you? And I go, but I know Stuart Gordon, and I'm just so afraid to see what this is gonna actually look like. And he said he has seen uh, actual footage of people, you know, losing members and stuff, and he went, Holy shit, that looked real. I mean he kept going on and on about that. Yeah, I used again, I used, you know, uh, the the effects guys from films. A guy named Gabe Bartolis who was uh, a terrific, um, you know, prosthetic makeup guy, and um, yeah, it was very disturbing. This was just a year ago. Are there any plans to expand the production and go elsewhere with it? Yeah, I would love to to take it to New York. I think that's a city that would really enjoy the show. (laughs) (laughs) I have to back up a little bit. I have to back real quick. I don't know what's more disturbing: (laughs) the fact that it looks real, or that somebody can tell you that it looks real. This it's internet like, thing we've been yeah, talking about all penis night. Off. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I might have a yeah. feeling that it looks real, but I wouldn't have any point of reference. I'd go, I guess that's what it looks like. <laughs> I, I, I have to tell you, this play is really phenomenal. Uh, at the end, it received a standing ovation, but it was a... Nobody comp- wanted to sit down. But, <laughs> I, should, <laughs> I, should put, I should put in the world Sacred Fools, put it on here. Now. Yes, oh, Sacred yes. Fools, yes. Uh, ben Rock was one of the producers. Yes, and, uh, and, and uh, my... Producing partner Dean Schramm, mm-hmm. you know, who also uh, produced the Reanimator musical with me, okay. you know, was was behind it too. And, and just, it was an incredible combination of writing, directing, and acting. The acting was brilliant and a great script. You know, yes. the, the script the script yeah. is uh, by Ben Brand, and I think yes. he's a really talented writer. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I, I would love to see that because it just seems so uncomfortable. Now, was well, that <laughs> it was actually very moving. It, you know, yes. it, well, that's it, what Ray know, told me, yeah. 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 A lot of squirming in your seat, I assume. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of movement. Well, there's, there's, there's emotions, Barry. You'll be familiar with <laughs> oh, them one day. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell you when no, you're but older. It's a, it's a very deep story about loneliness. And I'm sorry, you're bringing it up again. The internet, it's just, <laughs> it's remarkable. But I, I'm just curious because I was told by another director that this actually took place in Germany. Yes, it did. Okay. Yeah, and there, it, it I'm sorry, based on true events? Yes, yeah, it's a true, oh, dear it's a, God. It's a true wow. story. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? Let's get uh, Marcus back here because this is Germany. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this is Germany. Remember when he said Texas Chainsaw Massacre was too violent for Germany? <laughs> Stuart just well, did a play where a man's penis gets taken off because he gets... Well, all of my movies were banned in Germany. For oh, okay, well, good <laughs> change. Yes, yes, You're not doing anything right until that happens. I said, I said, if I'm doing movies that are too violent for the Germans. Yeah. <laughs> that really says something. And is it? I heard that they had made a film of this too. Yeah, there have did been actually two films that were made out films. of it. I mean, the story, you know, was I think they did an episode of uh, uh, Criminal Minds that was sort of used this story. And was uh, one a short film? Because I think I've seen the short film. There have been several films. It, yeah. I mean, and there was even a, and a friend of mine wrote a song about it. So uh, wow. <laughs> this really oh, strikes no. a chord with people. Yeah, I, I yeah. know. Kill me I and eat me. It's called. <laughs> no, he's not messing around. I, I no like metaphor a there. I feel another musical by. coming on. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a country song. No, it's a very. It's a wonderful song. It's a. It's sung as a German drinking song, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, let me uh, let me Cynthia ask. Carl is the is the composer. Yeah. Let me ask you what I ask every guest who comes on the show. What is your favorite movie of all time? My favorite movie of all time is. Uh, 2001. Ah. You know, uh, you're not the first to come in here and say that. Yeah, no, that, nice. is, that is a great film. And still, I think, unsurpassed. And uh, are you aware that the last, the Jupiter and Beyond sequence syncs up exactly to the second side of Pink <laughs> Floyd's uh, yes. 
Echo, oh, you are? Or uh, Metal, the second side, Echoes, the song. It, it goes perfectly if you start it right when... Uh, well, Jupiter it's so Mio. funny. There's been all these movies now about, you know, um, like The Shining and all yeah. of the weird thing, messages that are hidden. Yeah. And there's also been the same thing with uh, 2001. Um, and all these movies that are coming out, you know, like uh, Interstellar, you know... Yeah, would, oh, yeah. You know, oh. owes such a debt to 2001. Yes. Yeah, it might be the first to acknowledge it. I think it was. It was. Uh... No, I mean they all. It's so funny. Whenever a new science fiction movie that's about space travel comes out, they always say, you know, this is you're going to surpass 2001. It's always <laughs> it's always <laughs> about 2001. When's the first time you saw 2001? I saw it. You know, when I was uh, you know in, living in Chicago, I was uh, I was probably in my early 20s, and I saw it like the first week that it opened, mm-hmm. and was totally blown away, and went back like a, like four days later to see it again. And uh, Kubrick had cut 15 minutes out of the movie. Oh. Whoa! Wow! Yeah, he actually had decided after this is the weirdest thing, but only Stanley Kubrick could get away with this. Yeah. You know that it was that he'd gotten the reviews were not good for the film, and people were complaining that it was boring. And hmm. so he went back and he cut the 15 minutes out of every single print in every city that it was playing in. Wow! Because the movie had already wow. been released. Yeah, I was going to say be, this is before they had like 2000. Screen yeah, release. Probably, yeah. You still probably had to do a couple hundred though. Right? Yeah, there were several hundred, and and uh, I went back and I thought, oh my god, you know something's missing here. Um, Is it gone to this day from? Yeah, yeah it's never. Yeah. He's oh, never. He wow. never put it. Is back. it one big chunk, or did he go? No, no, find lots of little cuts. Yeah, you oh, know. that's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, Projection room. Yeah, I know, and I, it's you know, you doing it on a release print is not easy. Wow, no, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, but um, no. There, People, what you know, the movie was shown with an intermission. This was at a theater. Yeah. It was called the Michael Todd Theater in mm-hmm. Chicago. Hmm. And um, what we used to do when all the hippies would be hanging out in front of the theater, and, and during intermission, we'd mingle with the crowd and go back in and lie on the floor and watch the light <laughs> show. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And there was a story about one, and this really did happen. One guy was so wasted that he <laughs> jumped up and, and started screaming, It's God, it's God, <laughs> and ran into the screen. <laughs> Oh my God. And, and and for years afterwards, you could see that it was like one of those Daffy Duck cartoons you know, where it had been stitched back together, and you could see the shape of a person. Oh, that's amazing! Because I've always heard that story, but you were in the theater and you saw the imprint of a guy like Roger Rabbit running through the thing. Oh my God! That's awesome. God, that's amazing. So, amazing. yeah, you know, it was like a religious experience when I first saw that movie. Yeah. Have you seen it recently? It's been popping yeah, yeah, up yeah, in a lot yeah. of revivals. No, I've seen it. I, you know, I, I see it every chance I can. And, and seeing it in 70 millimeter is really, oh. that's the way to mm-hmm. do it. And I've said this before on here, but I, my favorite mo- movie of all time is Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it's great that that and 2001, we, we live in a place where you can see that in a theater at least mm-hmm. once a year. Yeah. yeah, that is great. You know, yeah. If you're in Terre Haute, Indiana, you're not doing that. So there you go. Terre you got Haute. bigger problems. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, listen. Let's get on to a uh, little. What did you see this week? The theme music. What did you things. see this week? So I put it to the table. Chime in. If you got I some. saw. Uh, never seen it before. Fifth Element. Oh, oh really? Yeah. That's been that. mentioned a number of times wow. as people's favorite mm-hmm. movie. And uh, okay. All right then, let them have that. Um, 
I, 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 we do acknowledge that I don't leave the home and I don't see movies right. in theaters anymore, Stuart. I, there's too many people there. Yeah. He's so in charge of TBS. TBS, Stuart. TNT, and now BBC America has made into the rotation right. with uh, <laughs> Fifth Element. So it might be the editing that's happening, and it might be that every 15 minutes I'm in a commercial or something. Um, but I, I, I just couldn't, I, I don't see it, not sure what. Be specific. Use your words. Um <laughs> I, I just didn't feel like there was much of a story there. I mean, it wasn't a lot of drama. I didn't feel it. It seemed just very protracted and drawn out. the The objective, you know. I so just they're trying to find a, an element there. What about what about aliens arriving at a pyramid and hieroglyphics and then putting this woman back together is not sort of like a story, you know? Like is that what happened? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you missed the beginning of it. All right, who's next? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I saw Jaws Maybe for the first only time include in the theater. Movies you've ah. seen in a theater, Bart. Ah. From here on out, I want you Now, to Karen, yes. how far into Jaws did you start it? And I were you started, confused? Um, here's what happened. I, I saw Jaws up in the screening room, and they actually had Carl Gottlieb there, and he talked to us about it beforehand, which made it even more exciting. And then we watched it, and um, it, it was a little tricky because I had a really bad headache. <laughs> And so Jaws is suspenseful. Was your headache have, going? Mm-hmm. It was. It was starting to mm-hmm. throb, throb, kind of a throbbing. throb, throb. Mm-hmm. It's all context and, for movie going, as you can see in these first two examples. But I want to say context. that I had the opposite experience where my movie going experience was uh, tarnished by my blood pressure and my head hurting. Mm-hmm. However, it was still a great movie mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed it. And even though I ha- halfway through I had to pee, so now I have a headache and I have to pee, it was really exciting and I didn't leave because I needed to know how they were going to kill that shark. And um, probably my favorite part of the movie is when you got those three mismatched people working together to do something. I love that it's shit. Give me three people who shouldn't really be together who find common ground, I'm there. Give the me three thing. motivations and I'm put there. them in a room, right? It doesn't That's, matter what they're doing. Right? Yeah. I just get, I root for all of them to find some common ground, some humanity, and and just make it work. I love it. Yeah. Saw Dances with Wolves. He didn't like Dances with Wolves. Man, it was a guy sawing my legs off, so no, I didn't enjoy it. It's all about the context of how you see the movie. Because otherwise... It was good. I went to the drive-in, which I haven't done in a oh, long time. that's the oh, wow. best. I, I feel bad when you I got to get out of L.A. Yeah. yeah. City of Industry. Oh, that reminds me. Mike's still in the trunk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he used to throw Yeah, you don't the try to charge per person. Yeah. Uh, not per car. But that's the best, man. I mean, talk about uh, talk about venue, right? That venue yeah. just... It, well, there is, I saw on the wall down there, a SoCal society of some kind for drive-in theaters. So they're all pulling together to make sure they stick around. There's and this was one. one of the ones that has the big the projection room in the, in the center uh-huh. and four screens it shoots oh, out yeah. to. So there's double wow. features all over. <laughs> and I saw Minions and Inside Out. Oh, wow. And okay. I will say Inside Out is one of the best films of the oh. year. And Minions also screened. <laughs> but <laughs> Inside Out, though, Pixar, it's one of those movies that requires a second viewing. Because there's a lot going on. And I saw it and I was pretty impressed with how they explain this entire, how the emotions run this girl, Riley. Um... They do it rather effortlessly, but it's mm-hmm. still a lot. It's mm-hmm. still a lot. And getting it, to take it all in this time, I see all the other things that you sort of can enjoy when you're not focusing on making sure you follow this sort of complicated plot. The humor is all there. The animation you take for granted is being brilliant at this point. It just always is. But uh, we were talking about the tight Back to the Future script, how he didn't miss a beat. Pete yeah. Doctor and, and the Pixar oh, gang, yeah. they got 
they have everything explained. They work it they out. Have everything, they have everything covered. There's not a loose end to that at all. It is a and, great film. And just when you think you've got the game of that movie down, it switches it up. And I, I won't blow it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but they're, you know, when it goes inside the other... Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, moves around. But but don't you think that? And I, I pose it to the audience as well. There are some movies that people call sketch movies, and usually Saturday Night Live movies get a bad rap for that. They, they go, oh, they took a sketch and tried to expand right. it to ninety minutes. Inside Out is the best sketch movie ever made. That is just a sketch. What if? And you can see your three minutes there, but then you see how Pixar changes the game and changes the game and changes the game, right. but it's still that sketch. It's really... Pixel's also a sketch movie that will not achieve the same exactly, success, exactly. I don't exactly. think. That's, that's a sketch the, movie that will do the same does. thing over yeah. and over. What if, and then it kind of will yeah. be far chips. Well, you had mentioned that Pixel's was a short. It, it was a two and a half or three minute short, and I read a review on that where that's what that movie should be. That yeah. It works yeah, yeah. in three minutes. Mm-hmm. Stuart, did you see anything? I did. I saw a movie called The Nightmare. Which, oh, which, yeah. which is a documentary about uh, the sleep paralysis. Oh, By the guy who made Room 237, correct? Yes, right. And it scared oh. the crap out of me. It's really scary. Yeah. And, and um, you know, it's interviews with people who actually have this problem, and then they do these reenactments of what they experience, and those are just terrifying. Mm. And I saw it at a screening where the filmmaker was there, and after it was over, he did a Q&A, and he asked the audience, how many people here have this problem? And half the audience raised their hands. Whoa. What exactly is the problem, Stuart? It, it, it's, what it is, it's a thing where you, in the middle of the night, you, know, you, you, you suddenly can't move. Mm-hmm. And, you're, um, and you think that someone is coming into the room <gasps> and sometimes sitting on your chest or getting into bed with you. Uh, and, um, wow. and they all describe these people as being sort of shadow people, you know, uh, is, is what they, and it's really creepy. And the... Um, one of the characters in it is, is talks about how he told his girlfriend about this, and then she started having the problem. Oh. So it's like it was suggestive. Con- it, it was like it was contagious. Contagious. Yeah. And and, uh, and I kept thinking, I hope this doesn't happen to me tonight. Right. Yeah. I hope that <laughs> now I don't get it because Stuart yeah. told me about it. It's like it. the ring. You see the movie, yeah. and then you get nightmares. Yeah, yeah. Nightmare but, paralysis. but it was really, I thought. Uh, very effective. Are you sure you don't have to go to the bathroom right now? Stuart? <laughs> Sounds like a great. <laughs> well, well, there's well, some well, pressure on well, in the inside of your bladder right now. <laughs> well, the filmmaker, it turns out, has this problem himself, oh. and so when he's talking to them, you know, he sort of knows what they're talking oh. about. Um, but there were some great. I mean, so the reenactments just totally blew me away. Yeah. Scariest thing I've seen in a long time. Hmm. Wow. Adam, and you've seen a lot of scary. Things. Oh wait, wait yeah. uh, let's let me capitalize on that for a second. So, what is your favorite horror movie of all oh, time? Yeah. I still got to say Psycho. Yeah, you know, because I mean, how often do you have somebody kill off the spoiler alert? You know, (laughs) yeah, that's necessary these days. Um, Now you get the sixty-year window or whatever. You know, fifty-year window. Thirty minutes into the movie, you kill off the star of the movie. I mean, that's never been done before. Mm -hmm. You got to put yourself in the mind of someone who's seeing that movie for the first time every time you watch Psycho, because that's just the joy. Is like, look what Hitchcock is doing to a newcomer to that story, and the way and the way he does it too. The the murder is. You know, no one had ever seen anything like that before. It's still, I mean, just stunning. Yeah. And and terrifying. And um, the whole audience was in a panic after that. They they you know they you know they didn't know what anything was possible. Right. Yeah. And also, the radical thing pointed out uh, to me a while back is 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 when he kills off the lead. Not only is that the most shocking thing you could have done, even if you didn't have a shower sequence, right? right? But you have a shower sequence, so now you've really killed off that lead, and you've scared the hell out of the audience. And the only person 
in that movie they have to turn to as a character is the creepy guy that they didn't like all that much so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. all they've got to lead him through the rest of the movie. Right, I mean, that's a right. great trick. Yeah they, yeah, they find themselves identifying <laughs> yeah. with the psycho. That's you impressive. Know, it's, 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 yeah. it's absolutely brilliant. So three yeah. tricks going on there in, in oh, a nice Hitchcock fashion. You know, an amazing movie. Yeah. I mean, just to give you sort of an idea, one of the things about that film is that it's the first movie that ever showed a toilet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's how repressed everything was back then. Wow. And uh, so this movie just totally blew people's heads off. You gave a nod as far as the music, right? Yeah, yeah. From Reanimator. That yeah, that's this, right. Bernard Herman. Right, Bernard Herman. And, and supposedly Hitchcock originally did not want music for the f- that scene. Really? And, oh. and Bernard Herman said, well, I put this little thing together. You you might want to listen <laughs> to it. It's a little it. ditty. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I heard it in my head. A little something uh. I heard. Uh, this isn't necessarily a movie, but I just want to do a, a little shout out to my friend Lyle Lovett, because uh, Paul and I saw Lyle Lovett this week, and you might know him from TV's The Bridge. <laughs> also, Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story, Cookie's Fortune, The Open Road, starring Justin Timberlake, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Ready to Wear, Where Met Julia Roberts, and Shortcuts. Okay, he'll have a birthday in November. I'm just saying. I hate to I hung out with actor Lyle Lovett. <laughs> well, he's kind of got a horror thing going, depending on what you're looking into. I have no idea how you got into that topic. I'm just saying, because we talked about what you see this week, I saw oh, Lyle. Oh, 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 I see, I see. Oh, he's Adam, been in all I those gotcha, movies. I gotcha. Oh, so yes, you justified that with the uh, shortcuts. We'll, we'll wrap it up with you. Oh, uh, yeah, you no, say. I'll be brief here. But I would uh, be remiss uh, in the presence of the horror master that, and also the talk about how great the venues are for movies. I went to the New Beverly last night. The New Beverly is the greatest cinema on earth. And they showed a double feature packed crowd lying around the corner of Lucio Fulci's, uh, Fulci's uh, Zombie and uh, Beyond the Door. And I don't actually don't know who directed that, Beyond the Door. But I think it's Fulci also. Is it Fulci also? I okay. Believe, yeah. uh, and and this was, I mean, I've seen Zombie before, and, you, and if you've, you've seen the picture of the right. famous zombie from the poster or whatever, and most people just know that. But, you know, it's one thing to watch it on VHS years ago or DVD, you know, when the last time I watched it, and then 300 people or however many people fit into the, the new Beverly just reacting to everything. And there's so many famous sequences. There's zombie versus shark. There's the eyeball getting poked out, you know. Uh, yeah, and, and it's and – it's, he languishes on it. Now, all the Italian horror masters Argento do. did that, too. Yeah, they yeah. languish on this. So there's the, there's a door has been splintered, and he's grabbing, you know, his hands come through to pull this woman. But instead of just pulling her through the door like might happen in Halloween or Friday the 13th, you know, the, the eye goes slowly and very slowly towards this spike of wood that slowly uh. penetrates. You know, it's just, uh, he's just, he's such a little kid. <laughs> Lucio Fulci. Fulci? Fulci? Fulci. 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 And, uh, but, you know, after, after each of those things, the whole place applauds because it's, you know, this is what we're here for. It, it is really wonderful. And, and, and the thing about Beyond the Door is, is that the big draw for everybody was, that was the woman from Nanny and the Professor. Oh, so everybody see, I don't know was, that. Oh, my God. And she she's was, possessed. She it's had, basically a Rosemary's Baby. Uh, right. But she exorcist. had this nice squeaky clean, you know, persona in Nanny and the oh, Professor. Okay. And everybody's going, Oh my God! You gotta see. She's possessed in possessed this. It, it was a huge draw. Yeah, yeah. I, and talk about horror movies having a sense of humor. And I, the, again, three hundred people. If there's going to be a somewhat subtle joke or a big obvious joke, I mean, a horror audience is going three hundred is going to laugh big time. And sometimes it was unintentional. There's very funny things like whatever you do, stay with your wife. And the next shot is him walking down the sidewalk without <laughs> her, and the whole place cracks up. You know, uh, but the kid has a painting of Campbell's pea soup on the wall. 
and that just got a yeah, laugh was, every yeah. time. <laughs> and there's cans of pea soup in the kitchen. Everywhere there's cans of pea soup, and it's like, you know, we, we all know the reference here. And so it's just got a laugh every time, and it's like, ah, that's that sense of humor. Like, And you also know how to read a movie, but you can laugh at other things where you go, well, maybe they didn't mean that to be funny. And you go, well, no, they did. They've got a pea soup painting above the kid's bed, you know? <laughs> One th- uh, trivia fact about Lucio Fulci's zombie, when I rented it uh, a long, long time yeah, ago, yeah, yeah. like over 20 years ago, uh, on VHS, I watched it, it played, I forgot to turn it off, and then a basketball game started playing. So damn you, video store in Cape May Courthouse, New Jersey, you just taped over a blank tape, you just taped over an NBA game with and rented it to me. I hope they're closed now. I think they're closed, the video store in Cape May Courthouse, New Jersey? All right. One last thing, just based on that, because I just watched this movie called Rewind This on on Amazon Prime, and someone mentioned the archaeology of a videotape. When you watch the playout of an old videotape where someone would tape over and over and over, and you'd watch it fade into one thing and then fade into another, there's this archaeology of, and you eventually get back to the very first thing that they taped on the tape, you know, at the very end of it. Anyway, that thing is gone with VHS. Yeah, Yeah, we don't get that. All right, well, listen, it's time to uh, wrap up the show with Karen's weekly celebration of the Birthdays of those who make the movies. It's Karen's birthdays. Hit it. Hit it. <laughs> All right. Let's start off our week of birthdays by wishing a very happy birthday to Miss Kristen Wig. Happy birthday, Kristen Wig. Turns Wiig. 41, birthday, but complain anywhere from a bridesmaid to a ghostbuster. Mm. Bill Murray once stated he'd love to see Wig, Emma Stone, and Melissa McCarthy in an all female Ghostbusters. Wig replied by saying, I will do whatever Bill Murray tells me to. <laughs> <laughs> Over the weekend, Paul Feig tweeted some of the names of the new Ghostbusters, and it turns out Kristen is playing Aaron Gilbert, Melissa is Abby Yates, Kate is Jillian Hotzman. And Leslie is Patty Tolan, so they're not using the original names. Is this a tweetable deal? It's uh, just it character names. It is to me. It's okay. very important. Now, we're- if they were giving like names of ghosts, like it's the new Slimer and the new Fudgy Man <laughs> or something. But hey, no. those are not cool names. Tom those Hanks are, is no. playing Ben Harper. They're Woo. not very ethnic either. I think it's uh, interesting that they're kind of yeah. milk toasty. Well, ghosts are white. No, these are the people like oh. Abby Yates. Oh. I guess Holtzman is a little <laughs> ethnic, but so those are the names. I was just glad that they weren't playing, you know, Raymond Stance and stuff. Uh, Ramona Stance, they right, or something cutie pie. Them all, yeah. Uh, but between now and then, I have to watch as many Kristen Wiig movies as I can to get prepared. And I did see that one recently, the one she had out. Uh, welcome to welcome me. Welcome to me. And, yeah, and I you need to see didn't like that. So I'm very, <laughs> <laughs> very curious to see other movies. So I need some suggestions on some of your favorite Kristen Wiig movies that I should go see. Well, your number one is I like Bridesmaids. I already saw that. And you rewatch that. Did you say Skeleton Twins? Yeah. Oh, I, I should that see good. that. Yeah. All right. She has a small part in Paul. And I think that is a very underrated, funny that movie. That alien yeah. movie? Yeah. The, yeah. the animated movie? With Simon Pegg, who you love. Oh, I yeah. like him very much. Yeah. That's good. Anything else? Just the Serent Live stuff with her, the tiny hands. I saw a little of that. Oh, God. That's hysterical. That's yeah. All right. Oh, and Knocked Look Up, she's a small part, but she kills That's right. Her. She's the boss, right? Yeah. Uh, right. Well, she's the boss's little minion. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Titan, we need you to Titan. Yeah. <laughs> and next up, listeners, a very happy birthday to Miss Amy Adams, who turns mm. 40, but can play anywhere from a June bug to a hustler. No. And now I'm going to introduce a new segment to our oh. show on oh. birthdays called You're Welcome. <laughs> Here's a couple of fun like facts to help you guys keep warm tonight as you fall off to sleep. And you know how I like I, you know how I like my facts. You like them fun and warm. I like them fun, <laughs> and if they can be warm. Well, here we go. Amy Adams once worked as a Hooters waitress in Atlanta <gasps> for about three weeks. That is bravo. Good when work. When she turned eighteen. <laughs> Thank you. 
You're welcome. She quickly learned that those little short shorts and beer didn't really mix. Uh, Thank you. But I guess maybe to you guys, they do mix. Oh, yeah. Mm. Now, she was not the Lois Lane in the Brandon Routh Superman. (laughs) Also, again, you're welcome. (laughs) She had no qualms over the scene in The Master, where her character Peggy Dowd performs a sex act on her husband, Hoffman, over a sink to relieve his stress. Thank you. She said it was actually one of my favorite scenes upon reading it because it helped me to know who the character was and how much control and the length that she would go to. To maintain control. I, I tell women all that. that you all you the tell time. them that yes, it's all about control. control. Blow, yeah. Blow me Blow so me. you can have control. Wait, the master, the ninja TV show? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. And you're welcome. <laughs> Lastly, Adam suggested that Jennifer Lawrence should kiss her during a bathroom confrontation in American Hustle because it's the craziest thing she could imagine Lawrence's character doing. Yes, gentlemen. You can remember Amy Adams in little orange shorts mm. giving a blowjob to Hoffman and kissing Jennifer Lawrence before you go to sleep tonight, and Thank you're you. welcome. Thank you. Now, Lee, yes. Bart, you know how much I love when celebrities sing. It's true. People ask me, can you tell me two interesting things about Karen? Yes. And I'll say, well, the first one she doesn't like to mention often, what? but she's on a first-name basis with Lyle Lovett. <laughs> That's true. I try not to mention she that all to the time. She tries to keep that to herself. Sure. The second thing I tell them yes. is that Karen loves when celebrities sing. I do, and so since it's Amy Adams' birthday, we're going to listen to a little something from Enchanted called That's How You Know. Oh. And she starred with Patrick Dempsey in this. We were talking about Disney earlier. Oh, mm-hmm. that, that sounds very Disney-ish. Now, actor Lyle Lovett sings as well, right? <laughs> Oddly enough, he does, but it wasn't his birthday this week. <laughs> yes, actor Lyle Lovett does. Yeah, he doesn't sing very much in the movies. No. <laughs> yeah. He does soundtrack stuff, though. Speaking of shortcuts, I think Huey, actor Huey Lewis sings as well, right? He does. <laughs> That's true. Good call out. Uh, well, listen, that wraps another movie showcast. Uh, together we are the movie guys. Individually we are. Well, I'm Here Bart you can follow us on Twitter at The Movie Guys for daily jokes and links. Also, Facebook.com slash The Movie Guys, as well as iTunes, Vimeo, YouTube, Funny or Die, SoundCloud, Vine, Instagram, LinkedIn, all that shit. Thanks to Stuart Gordon. Yay! Stuart. Pleasure being here. Thank you for your work, sir. Uh, again, that's Shout Factory to pick up your copy of Robot Jocks. Uh, and what else do we, we plug with you? Ava, you do any of the social media stuff? I'm on Twitter. Oh, yeah? Oh, what, yeah. what is that? At... Official S. Gordon. Official S. Gordon. There you go. Official S. Gordon. Uh, also, uh, we always plug Digital Mind Productions. It's my company that makes hey. this happen. It's shopfactory.com, the Boubay Sisters. Sure. Also, go check out 9 to 5. Paul and I are starring in that at the yes. Grand Bell Center Theater. I didn't I grow see this why mustache Paul has for this nothing. Mustache. Yeah. Exactly. I'm your Dabney Coleman. Where is it? Five weeks. The Glendale Center Glendale. Theater. Until August 22nd. .com if you're interested. Uh, oh, you know what? I don't want to listen to that anymore because really? we could be listening to this. Thank you. All right. Also, thanks to uh, Steve Scholes for his writing contributions to the show every week. And as always, we owe everything to Pat Peach. Next week, we'll be back to round out July with our preview of uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. All right. So uh, that'll be next week. And we'll see you then. I have already killed you two invincible men.